Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at some of the voicemail messages you've sent us. And our first voicemail message is from Barney of the Loco Ludus podcast. Take it away, Barney. Hi, John and Hannah. I'm finally getting round to leaving a message on SpeakPipe for you. Um, I'm and I'm I'm ringing with, I guess, a favour, and I don't know if you are the right people. I have the feeling that you are the right people to ask about this. I'm working on a game, a game setting. And it's it's basically a kind of messed up version of the British imperialist age. And I was just wondering if perhaps you guys would be willing to offer up what you consider to be, you know, the top worst international British imperial events or situations, occurrences, something like that. Like I say, I'm... I've got the feeling that you guys might be the right people to ask, uh, and but maybe it's not doesn't capture your imagination. But uh, if you would be up for that, I'd love it. Thanks. Hi, Barney. Really glad you're enjoying our podcast. Uh, this is one that is obviously quite difficult for us because as people that were educated in Britain in the 80s and 90s, we weren't told about any of it. Um, I found out the other day about the awful, awful famine in India that was going on during World War II. I had no clue that had even happened before then and I'm horrified that I am so ignorant of it. And I would say that that's probably the worst hangover of imperialism, the fact that we are so ignorant of what did happen. So I'm really glad to hear about your game. It sounds like it could be quite an interesting way to like educate people on this. I think for myself, I mean, I agree with Hannah. Like, well, we, we obviously got a, quite a biased education sort of back in the 80s and 90s. Um, one of the things that's always stood out for me when I've read a little bit about this afterwards is the, the hypocrisy of some of the era so mm-hmm. you'll often hear people say whenever like slavery or something like that is discussed you'll often hear people say oh well slavery was outlawed in in england like quite early on we were one of the first to outlaw it and yes we were however we didn't say oh no you can't bring slaves into england all we said is you can't enslave people in england we were quite happy to and deal you can with still put them into indentured servitude yeah <laughs> we, we were quite and we were quite happy to say to people oh you know like just make sure you enslave them like outside of our borders then if you want to bring them in that's absolutely grant so we we were sort of trying to have our cake and eat it in terms of the empire there so we could still hold ourselves aloft and say yes aren't we good and morally pure if you will because we've outlawed slavery while also going yeah but we quite like the profits and uh, all the benefits that come from that so whenever i start reading into it uh, it's always that sort of hypocrisy that stands out to me you know that idea of you've got to try and project this image of this sort of pure and noble empire bringing civilization British man whose home is his castle who's free to run his life the way he chooses exactly you know and the the empire as a whole the 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 sort of popular image as was portrayed back then of we're bringing civilization we're like uplifting all these places we're colonizing 
which now we know yeah okay we did take certain traditions over to different places but we know now that obviously all those places had their own traditions and their own civilizations which weren't any less valid than ours they were different which is obviously what led to friction and led to our sort of forebears going oh that's different therefore it must be wrong we must teach them our way because we're the the empire we've got the correct way but obviously we now know that not to be the case so that's my big holdover it's the it's the hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing another luckily in most places that doesn't really exist now (coughs) politicians but um, you know there's still a few Um, holdovers we we can dream yeah Um, so i don't know if that's what you were after uh barney obviously neither myself or hannah are like massive history majors or anything like i was terrible at history when i was at school and to be honest i don't think even if i had been able to memorize all those dates (laughs) it, it would have been an unbiased viewpoint so i hope you've managed to get something out of that barney and thank you very much for your call and it looks like next it's another call from jason take it away jason Hey, Hannah and John, Jason here. I know I haven't called you very much lately. Um, just catching up. So the Tavern episode, great episode, great ideas in there. So since John doesn't mind the occasional bar fight, I'd be interested in thoughts on bar fights using Dungeons & Dragons or other systems, but primarily Dungeons & Dragons, and how to keep them from becoming long, drawn-out things for higher-level characters, right? Because when you're talking unarmed damage... You know, in D&D, it's not always very easy to subdue a 10th level character, right? So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. How to make the, how, how to make bar fights exciting, fun, but not last forever. Or how to give a 10th level character glass draw. Good luck with that. Hey there, Jason. I know you've had a lot to deal with recently, so don't worry about it, dude. Thank you very much for calling in. It's always appreciated. And yeah, I can see your uh, the issue with bar fights, to be honest. Like you say, certainly in D&D and stuff, when you've got all the hit points in the world as a high-level character, it's kind of difficult to like keep the old sort of bare-knuckled fighting very interesting. And myself and Hannah are going to put our thinking caps on, have a think about that, and try and do an episode, you know, like so many reasons to or ways to keep a bar fight interesting. The only thing I would say for now, and obviously we'll elaborate on it later on, is that bar fights are very chaotic. There's always something going on. They're not the normal sort of orderly combat. And I know that combat simulates various different things and we have to make it orderly because it's easier to manage. But I think certainly with a bar fight, it should be, it shouldn't be a case of you tick through the initiative one by one. Everyone takes their actions. It should feel a lot more chaotic and like stuff's coming at you from every side and going on. Now, I'm going to elaborate that on that when we do an episode and i'll have a think about your problem with regards to giving that 10th level character a glass jaw and hopefully myself and hannah will be able to come mm-hmm. up with something so keep an eye out for that in the future so yeah thanks for getting in touch and for the idea um i myself for running a bar fight would always keep it very simple i'd probably say to the players right this is going to be three rounds so it doesn't drag down the game Mm. and if we wanted a lot of detail on the fight i'd use miniatures for it so that people can keep track of that chaotic combat and yet you can still get that combat in there yeah Yeah. because generally speaking in a bar fight you're effectively going to be one-on-one against each npc and if you just do a best of three rounds as to who ends up knocking who out unless somebody's looking to kill someone in which case yeah you probably want to run that as a proper combat yeah yeah 
Thanks for the idea. We will elaborate more later. <laughs> hey, Hannah and John, Jason here. Finally caught up on your podcast. I may sign up for that online con. I have to see if I'm be off those days or not, but I'm glad you plugged that. Um, why I say sign up, I mean to run a game. The Graveyard episode was great. Some neat ideas in there. Some interesting thoughts. In the Kraken episode, I didn't know they had expanded and had a Kraken cult and did all these crazy things in later editions. What I remember in first edition, I don't even remember a Kraken. I just remember a giant squid that just did regular giant squid stuff. No, you know, in no capturing humans and make them feed it kind of thing, but just pull down ships and fight whales and things like that. So I learned a lot during your, your Kraken episode. Thank you for putting it out. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks ever so much, Jason. Glad you liked the episodes. Um, Cult of the Kraken particularly making me chuckle because I was in the Cult of the Kraken at LARP. Uh, I even wrote a song about it at one point. Yeah. And as we were saying in the episode, there's obviously been a clear move in sort of D&D as the editions have gone on, certainly with the higher challenge rating creatures to really sort of bump them up and make them seem legendary. Whereas, you know, sort of like servants of gods or demons or stuff like that or demigods. Whereas in the earlier editions, being a sort of higher challenge creature just meant you were bigger or you were harder. So in the case of the Kraken in the old one, you've got your giant squid. It's just a bigger squid. It's got more hit points. It does more damage. It can pull down ships. Whereas, because they're trying to make everything more sort of epic and grandiose in the, the later editions, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. They're obviously pushing this whole, you know, it's got to be this big mythic creature and as we said in the episode it's achieved more of a recognizable place in popular culture thanks to the pirates of the caribbean films and whatever Mm -hmm. so i'm sure that has also helped with that and i believe jason's also got some things to say about our how to leave a game episode that we published recently so take it away jason Hey, John, Hannah, just listened to your How to Leave a Game podcast. Great stuff. Um, yeah, you hit on the end what I was going to call in and say. You know, it's on the player to make sure they can attend a game before they sign up for it. Obviously, things happen. You know, we recently had death in the family, so obviously that wasn't planned, although, you know, it was long-term help. It, regardless, there are things that come up that people can't plan for. We understand that. But as as John can attest to, you know, most times, if, if I try to sign up for a game, I've done this with John multiple times. When he started his vampire game, I said, hey, I'd love to do that, but here's my schedule. And we looked at it, and we figured, no, nah, this really is going to work. So I didn't sign up for the game. I'd lo- love to play with John, but if the schedules don't match, it's silly to sign up for the game, you, you know. And and you know what you're, you're an adult. You know what your schedule is. You, you know if you're realistically going to make those sessions or not. So I, I don't know. Anyhow, good podcast. Talk to you later. Oh, by the way, speaking of schedules, I mentioned my last call about Albicon. I was going to try to sign up and run a couple games. And I sat there in the car driving home and I actually came up with two great scenarios and, and the games I want to run. You know, I don't know if I'd run one or both, but, you know, think, yeah, this is going to be great. And I got home, looked at my schedule and I'm working that weekend. So no con for me. But at least help me brainstorm some game ideas thanks again jason uh yeah i could not agree with you more dude i think it's our own responsibility to be aware of our own schedule and as you said we've had this conversation a number of times where i've been running games or you've been running games and we've wanted to play in them but we've sort of talked about the schedules you know like adults and then we've gone it's not really feasible so what's the point in signing up for a game and then going oh actually i can't make it because of my schedule so i think you're absolutely right putting that out on the table at the start lets you make an informed decision about whether you can feasibly play the game or not and as you say we all know like things happen unexpectedly 
things crop up but you know you need a solid foundation to start on and then if unexpected stuff happens it happens but you have to have a little bit of planning to start with i completely agree and on your other subject of uh, cons online cons and not being able to get to that one i'm really sorry you're not going to be able to attend because it does sound like it might be quite interesting yeah i mean i'm still waiting for my rotor for that day so we'll see yeah i mean i'm i'm hoping to possibly sign on as a gm but I've also got a few things I'm not sure of at the minute. So, like you were saying, Jason, I'm waiting to find out before I commit to it. But also, anybody that's listening, that's attending an online con, that wants to plug that con, anyone that's hosting an online con and wants to plug it, do let us know. We will do our best to get the word out there, because obviously that is the best way for gamers to meet each other at the minute. That's it, and a rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. So, the more people gaming and having fun the better basically absolutely so thank you very much for that call jason so that's it for this voicemail episode if you want to get in touch with us you can leave us a voicemail using the speakpipe website there's a link in the description of this episode or you can send us an email the address is rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com many thanks for all your kind messages we do really enjoy receiving and chatting and getting ideas from them so thank you very much until we see you next time take care stay safe and keep gaming bye